And we're live in five, four, three, two, and one. Hello, everyone out there in AGT Nation. Good morning or good afternoon whenever you're listening to this on hopefully your daily commute. I'm here actually taking the steering wheel of the Any Given Tuesday Sprinter van this time because you don't know if Coach Painter is done with all his celebrating from his win that he picked up down at the Pinnacle Bank Intercollegiate. Welcome aboard, Coach Painter. Well, thank you, Coach Gregor. And, uh, and you know, it's very clear what happened is it's proof that anything can happen on any given Tuesday with the Bucks picking up that win last week. It is. And then one, one thing I would say is you, you definitely did have the fun trophy and I know that's your number one goal when you get to the course. I saw your guys out there throwing the football around before the final round. So overall, great, uh, great week keeping the boys loose. Yeah, you know, we had the football. We ran a few routes there on, on the tee. And I saw our football coaching staff yesterday, and, and they were commenting on that. And I said, well, to top it this next week when we go to the Palmetto Intercollegiate, I might have to take some, you know, football sleds or, you know, one of those kind of apparatuses that you run through to try to slap the ball out of your hand or something because we got to one-up it. So we might have the full uh, Oklahoma drill going on the range tee or something. Hopefully we can uh, get Hibble and his boys out to a tournament one day and we'll really get the Oklahoma drill going. You know, if we do get the Oklahoma drill, we might have to bring in some of those Power 5 coaches that don't want to let us in some tournaments. We can kind of go man-to-man and let some pad slap. What do we think about that? I don't know about that because there might be a little bit too much frustration you might be taking out on them. And uh, we all know how you can get coming down to the wire. You know, I'm just getting into midseason form. <laughs> well, excited about what we have going on today. Several guests and we're going to start our dive into the women's side of college golf and something we're, we're excited about. And uh, they're just as important as we are over here on the men's side and so I'm excited to hear some of the things we do equally or and some things that they change up a little bit yeah you know we're gonna have one of the best coaches in all of college golf joining us later and give us some insight on how well his team's been playing and that's Jay Goble of, of Baylor women's golf but first we're gonna have some insight from the chairman of women's college golf and that's mrs chairman julie williams julie thank you for taking time out of the road schedule that you're always on to join us here on the podcast yeah thanks for having me tell us about um you know here we are february has come and gone spring is almost here in our part of the world Tell us where we are with women's college golf so far in 2021, what we've seen, both bad and good. Yeah, I I think while we're starting to see who is going to be the power teams this year and who played well in the fall is going to keep playing well in the spring. So, I mean, every time Baylor women are teeing it up, I've got my golf stat leaderboard up and I'm like, you know, refreshing every couple minutes. So they won. A fifth for a fifth time this week and LSU almost dethroned them, but they got it done. And, and I think I'm super excited about that and what it brings to college golf to have a team like that. That's on a winning streak and you can follow them and, and it's something to get excited about, but I haven't seen them play in person. I did get to see South Carolina women win in person last week. They came down to my neck of the woods and Melbourne, Florida. Um, and I got to see Virginia the week before that. So I guess what I'm excited about is, you know, when I first started covering women's golf, like in 2010, I think was the first NCAA championship I went to. And, and it was like kind of a joke, you know, you had three teams who could win. The format obviously was 72 holes of stroke play. You had three teams who could legitimately win or, or four, you know, Duke, Arizona state, UCLA, maybe an Arizona in there, USC and nobody, you know, nobody else is really in the conversation. And now, you know, th- there's a lot of teams who who you could think about making a run at the end of the year or at least who you're paying ten- attention to. I mean, 10 years ago, would we have been thinking about Baylor being a superpower in women's golf? Probably not. So I think that's apparent more and more 
and particularly this season. Julie, talk a little bit about what you're seeing out there on the women's golf side with the extra year of eligibility that has been given um, for COVID. From the outside looking in and just talking to our coach here on campus, I would say that it might have, it definitely made men's golf as a whole have more depth in it, but it sounded like even more so on the women's side. Yeah, no, I would absolutely agree with that. Uh, and so here's the other thing that's sort of interesting in women's golf about you talk about depth and, and bringing kids back. I mean, th- this time of year, the storyline typically in women's golf is, okay, which teams just lost their best player because they played LPGA Q school in the fall and they got a card and they left because, you know, that that's a hard decision to make. If there's money to be made, you go. And, and last year, I think five kids left. So like Stanford loses its best two players. Florida lost its best player, Florida state, USC lost a player. And so your teams who are playing really well in the fall look totally different in the spring. So not only do you not have that this year, I mean, it, it was, I wasn't expecting to see Gabby Ruffles leave USC. She, she was the women's amateur champion a couple of years ago, but she had some pro starts on the table. She, you know, looks like she can maybe make some money and maybe bypass that whole Q school thing. So I think not only do we, do we have, more kids coming back because they got that extra year from COVID, but you got kids that didn't have another opportunity to go and, and chase pro golf in the middle of the season. So, so you've got more kids coming back. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at like depth is huge. And this, you guys know this probably better than anyone is, you know, every week it's like, okay, where, where were the positive tests this week and where was the contact tracing and, can you still have some kids out like USC women just won a tournament this week? They had three kids and an assistant coach at home because they had gotten, you know, either a test or a contact trace and they just had a kid go pro and they still won. So they still had enough players on their team to, to be able to win. So yeah, it's, it's, it's deep. And I guess it has to be deep this year, right? Yeah. You know, you know, I'm curious too, Julie, what is the opinion across women's golf, both players and coaches with the national championship being decided with match play and even the conferences now starting to adopt that. Has that been pretty well received and liked across the board or is there pushback on that? Oh, no, I I think it's, I think it's pretty well liked. Um, I mean, the last year, the last two years that we had stroke play in women's golf, uh, USC ran away with it like by 25 strokes the year it was at the university of Georgia course. And and that was, you know, kind of a snoozer after 36 holes and then Duke won again the next year and and they've won, you know, a a million times a national championship. And so, man, it's just so much more exciting. And, And even I would say the finishes that we got in match play, those like first three years, and this week's a really relevant week to talk about it because the first year that we had match play in women's golf was at the concession where the PJ Tour players are playing this week. And it was an awesome finish uh, that Baylor and Stanford went head to head. And I remember, um, you know, they, they had to go to extra holes and Mariah Stackhouse won it for Stanford. But it was like so much more exciting than, than it has had been in the, in the years before. And, and even, you know, Duke won their first match play NCAA title, you know, back in 2019, the last time we played an NCAA championship. And I remember his quote was like, you know, I I just don't remember being, you know, coach Dan Brooks, his quote was, I just don't remember being out of breath coaching my team to a national title when it was just stroke play. But it's like, you know, you're all over the place trying to figure out what matches is going to be the the deciding point and where is it going to finish? And so, yeah, overall positive, super positive response. Yeah, I think, too, you know, just having a quick conversation with any of those players that were playing in the championship, like when USC won with a runaway, those teams that maybe were in 10th or 20th place and were out there on the death march, you know, 40, yes. 50, 60 shots behind, how, how it really takes away from their experience when, you know, in match play or, or trying to go get that top eight and, and then getting the chance to really have that there's such a nice relief if you're on a team and you go make that final eight, then the final four, then the final match, you know, you're playing for that. And that's a great takeaway. Um, Even if you don't win the national championship to say, Hey, we've made match play the last two years or two out of the last three, 
that's a great way to evaluate your program too. Yeah. And if I have a criticism, it's, it's a lot of golf now. I mean, we're playing what 72 holes a stroke play and then you've got uh, a double round day of match play and then a single day. So it's like, if you win a quarterfinal final match, but you lose your semifinal match, like you, you didn't ever get any time to celebrate. So, so I wish there was, I wish there was one less round of, of stroke play. So, so if that change gets made in the future, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of that. Let's, let's enjoy our wins a little more. What, to, if you were to really focus on four teams that you could see being in the semifinals this year for women's golf, who were those four teams? Oh, that's a, that's a really good question. So I, I pulled up my, uh, my golf week rankings here. Uh, I was so impressed by South Carolina, first of all, um, watching them play. And I, I think they've got a bunch of international kids who obviously are very good at match play. So I, I think they've, they're going to have a leg up there. I think USC is, is deep enough to do it. I mean, I, I'm on such a Baylor high right now after – after listening to, you know, talk to coach Jay Goble earlier this week and, and seeing them win again and again. And then this isn't very exciting, but Wake Forest almost won in 2019. They were in the title match with Duke and they return a lot of those players. And they, they also have kids who are experienced in match play. So I, I, I think that plays a big role, right? And, and, and this is something you guys know too. I mean, I, I don't know how much, how much do you play? match play and how do you coach those kids to know what they're doing because some some players I don't think have really any idea how to approach that so if, so if you haven't talked about that in, in the season or if you, you haven't played in that format and that's where the international players have such a huge leg up then then that's a to you know that's a totally different element that you got to prepare for and there's no doubt especially with our conferences that get decided by match play because that's really, to me, the most important tournament all year because that's really kind of maybe how you get graded against your peer institutions. And for us to have those titles decided in match play, us as coaches really need to schedule more match play events and even more one-day events and use our days of competition to our advantage to schedule some more head-to-heads and get our teams playing match play. Because you really got to decide how you're going to roll your five guys out that day, who's going to be the front runner, who's going to be your anchor guy, and where can you pick up you know, three of those five points, because that's all it takes, you know, um, to win. Yeah. I'm always interested in watching those lineups get set at, at the NCAAs and, and like, okay, so do you defer your first pick? Do you throw, do you throw them out first? And, and really, you know, the only coaches who I see throw them out first, I, I think USC, Justin Silverstein, he usually puts a player up first. And I think I remember Duke doing it, but I don't know. I, I know there's a ton, there's a ton of strategy there as a coach as, you know, how you're going to set your lineup and who plays well in the, the anchor spot. And, you know, where do you think the deciding point's going to be? So I don't know that that's stuff you can get real nerdy over. Well, from the coaching standpoint alone, um, that that's what I love about it. I said it actually gives us opportunity as coaches to have a little bit of a strategy that's, that's, that's different from course management. And you can, and, and, and there is a time where, Hey, you have to think, do I play good on good versus this team? Or do I try to put my, my one and two on their four and five to pick up two points? And then hopefully we'll get, figure out a way to get another one. So I love that aspect of it. It adds a coaching element to golf that impacts a match right on course. Whereas a lot of our stuff as golf coaches is done prior to even getting to the course in a lot of our stroke play tournaments. Yeah, that, that, that makes a ton of sense. And, and yeah, I mean, you know, your players, you know, your players better than anyone, obviously. And some of those kids really relish that, that spot. And, you know, I remember going back to that concession, that NCAA championship, it was like a, you know, one of the earlier matches, quarterfinals, finals or semifinals, there were two, five players playing each other. I think it was maybe Baylor and Duke and like, everybody the whole the whole place was following this match because it it came down to these two players so the five the five player decided who was going to advance to you know to the next round so i don't know there's just so many more in match play there's just so many more elements to get excited about and it brings kids into the roster i think and they you know they matter and not that they don't matter otherwise but they get a chance for some glory you know, every point is 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 valuable and just you know whether it's that 
the match with a, a five player or the one player, it all counts the same. And that's the beauty of it. And um, I wish we did see more match play just because it's so easy to understand is you either win or you lose, you know, and if you go play in a 15 tournament field, 15 team field and you finish third and you come back to campus, you know, somebody might say, Hey, how'd y'all do? And you say, Oh, we finished third. And, you know, no one really understands if that's good or bad, but Hey, if you go play match play and you win, you might've beat a team that's really not any good, but everybody's going to give you a high five because they understand that's a win. Yeah, absolutely. And why, and why it translates on, on TV. I mean, even, even watching, you know, we've had what one, one tournament, I think the Southwestern Invitational golf channel televised that a couple weeks ago. And, you know, obviously when there's college golf on TV, you're glued to it because you you take those opportunities, but just, you know, I, I had that thought thinking, you know, like I, I'm interested in this absolutely because this is what I cover, but you know, it, it, about two, you know, two hours into that broadcast, I was, I was ready for like, was ready for something exciting to happen. <laughs> what is next on the calendar, Julie, with some of the big events, I guess, uh, in, in women's golf, there's a big one coming up in South Carolina. Is that right? There's a big one coming up in South Carolina, and, and that'll be a pretty SEC-heavy field. We're going to see Baylor in that field. It's going to be the first time they left. Um, they've only competed in Texas and Oklahoma so far. Um, and then, you know, a- after that, it, it's we're creeping up on conference championships, which is kind of crazy because, I mean, my year from, from where I'm sitting, it's, you know, we, we get through <laughs> the regular season and then everybody kind of scatters when that Augusta National Women's Amateur happens, like the last week of March, first weekend of April, it finishes. And then it seems like, you know, after that, then then we start talking about who's going to win their conference, you know, who, who, where the conference is playing. And there is kind of a gap in women's golf that week because now that ANWA is a, it's an exempt event. So, so kids can play that event and their coaches can, can be there and it's not counted as a day. And, and so there's kind of a break in the schedule there because you don't want to lose your best kid, obviously right close to the, to the postseason there and try and play a tournament without them. Or, you know, like USC is going to send six kids to the ANWA and, Wow. South South Carolina is going to send four. Uh, let's see, Stanford's going to send, I think, three. They just they're going to send one kid to play the the first LPGA major of the year that same week. So, so I I don't know. I I have that one circled on my calendar. I mean, it's not a college tournament, but it's where all you know the top college kids are playing. So I so that that's kind of like the the hurdle that you get over, and all of a sudden I feel like okay, it's postseason now. Yeah, and you know it's interesting too because with you know. South Carolina, you say having four players in the field. Well, you know what an easier trip it is for them just to head an hour down the road, hour and 15 minutes to Augusta to play instead of teams from out there in Los Angeles and California having to make the trek, miss class, come all the way across country, especially still during this pandemic and uh, the challenges that can bring for coaches yeah. and players. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 you know, I, it feels like there's still a lot of golf to be played out on the West coast because I mean, the PAC 12 is maybe seems like it's getting a little later start. I know USC has played, I think three times, but Stanford hasn't even played yet. Stanford women. And I know the, the men played at the prestige, I think a week or so ago, but so, you know, I feel like I'm getting, maybe getting ahead of myself a little bit because I'm on the East coast here and, and paying attention, but um, Arizona State's going to host a couple of tournaments, and and I know teams obviously are interested in getting down there and and seeing desert golf and specifically Greyhawk golf, or as close as you can get down there. So th- there's there is still you know I think we have a lot to learn, or I have a lot to learn about where where how does the Pac-12 stack up? What's going what's going on out there? How you know how are they going to figure in? Well, Julie, while we got you on here, I got to address something that we've had kind of in the works and that is our hashtag of push cart nation. Yes. Yes. You know, some people ask me like, Hey, is this strictly for women? Is it, um, it's, it's definitely not because we have some really, really good men's teams that all, uh, use push carts. So I don't, don't want to say it's just for that. Um, but you're out there. You get to see it live. I mean, what percentages are we talking about of teams out there using the push cart? 
first of all, I love the hashtag and uh, it's a huge percentage. It, it is a huge percentage. In fact, I look at kids that don't have a push cart and I'm like, I, I think about that. I'm like, why, why don't you have one? And like, you know, is it because you're super fit? Is your coach like wanting you to have one? Because you can't deny that it's an advantage. I mean, I think it's an advantage. It's got to be a huge mess to travel with like five push carts every time you're going, you know, every, you know, across the country. But um, it, it's funny. So you guys may not know this, but in my spare time, I coach the high school women's golf team here in my hometown. And like, I had a huge number. I had 18 kids on my, on my team last year. I had 17 push carts, 17 wow. kids had their own push cart. And I'm like, you know, I don't remember this from, I, I played division two golf, like, you know, 12 years ago, but I, I don't remember anyone having one. And at first I questioned that I'm like, gosh, why do we need these now? But it is an undeniable advantage because when you talk about, you don't, the other thing you guys are talking about on Twitter, I know, is the one the one man band and the you know the single driver who you got to get all those lunches out, you got to get all the rain gear out if it starts raining. Does everybody have their umbrella? If you can just load stuff in, then you know that becomes less of an issue if you can't get to your kids because you don't have to worry about the weight limit anymore. You can you can pile up that push cart with everything you need. You're exactly right, and and you know. I'm a little disappointed, Julie. You didn't tell us you were um, a fellow coach, so we could uh, you address you with the coach uh, moniker here correctly. And and now, I, you know, I make sure we will address you as Coach Julie from now on. Oh, I appreciate I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, we just have to make sure that we get the right Sprinter van that holds those extra seventeen push carts. No, she's going to need like a trailer and and a hitch on the back to fit all those push carts when they. Uh, go battle on the road in the afternoon nine hole and 18 hole matches you know at first i we don't get out of school very early before our matches and at first i'm like you know i'm gonna get all these kids push carts out of the you know out of the barn and i'm gonna set them up for them i'm gonna put their uh, put their clubs on there you know and that that ended real quick because that's (laughs) like that's like a 45 minute commitment (laughs) no doubt Julie, who are some of the um, mid-major teams that, that you were seeing make some noise out there on the women's side who, who deserve a kudos for the, at the level they're competing against some of the Power 5 programs? Yeah, I, I love that question. So um, one team that, that I always keep an eye on is Kent State. And they look real different this year. And, in fact, I saw them at the UCF Challenge a couple of weeks ago to start the year, and they have – Lost two of their really big scorers. Um, in fact, one of their really good players is actually on that South Carolina now. She transferred. Her name was Pemnipa Panthong. I think I got that right. Um, but anyway, and, and so they have some different kids who are sort of leading the charge there. But I think Coach Lisa Strom is, is really good at building like a team atmosphere. And, and so they didn't really skip a beat. They, they were in second place after the first day and kind of showed, hey, here, here's what we can do. She told me they haven't played on grass before they got down to Orlando. They hadn't played on grass in 2021. So they're at a big disadvantage when you can't do that, obviously. <clears throat> but, but that's one I look at. Um, and I'm kind of scrolling down the rankings a, a little bit more. And I know that this doesn't fit. I know you, you asked the mid-major question, but I'm going to like sort of edit that into a team maybe we would have overlooked. And so this, this morning I was just on the phone with um, Diana Cantu at Maryland. They are a top 20 program in this latest run of the Golf Week rankings. They checked in at number 16. They just about won the Gator Invitational last week which if you guys have been to Mark Bostick course down, down in Gainesville, that, that thing has tiny greens. It's a really difficult golf course and they almost won and they have never been ranked this high. And I think they've never been to the NCAA championship. I think that team has some promise and could be one of those teams that comes out of nowhere at the end of the, at the end of the season. So those are two of my, Keep keep your eyes on these teams. Absolutely, we you know we love love hearing that. It, it's well, to me, it's exciting when you when 
that that doesn't happen very often, right? When you have a team that has never played in an NCAA championship, and obviously we're not there yet, but but when you qualify for the first time in your program history, that to me is big. We'll have to start the Maryland Terrapin Women's Golf Tracker, and we'll have to start tracking them and showing them some love, Brady. Absolutely. I know uh, one thing's for sure. Once we get our brackets rolling for some May Madness at Greyhawk, I'm definitely going to be in touch with Julie so she helps me get my bracket right. Yes, absolutely. Happy to help. You know, and, and Julie, Brady and I have to admit we were at a tournament together this past week and we weren't able to do a box lunch review because the box lunch was so bad. It was not even review worthy. Oh, gosh. Don't you hate that? I hate that. Uh, I, yes. <laughs> so... We, we, we promise to p- pick it up, and we will give you a great review because um, I know you enjoy those box lunch reviews, as, as we do as well. I, I do. You know, there's always a nice surprise down in there, whether it's the cookie or, like, the full-size candy bar. Yeah. Well, Julie, we can't thank you enough for joining us this week, and we know that you have been – full-time covering the women's side and dipping over it on the men's side. And we can't thank you enough for all the insight you're able to provide both um, all year. And we look forward to more insight as the season progresses. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's always good to hear from the folks there at golf week who have their ear to the ground and are able to talk to all the coaches at all the different levels. And it's great that now we can call Julie coach Julie Williams and it's also cool that uh, Coach Gregor, the two of y'all play college golf in Missouri. Yes. Um, she was just down the road at, at what one time, at least in football, was conference rivals between our two schools, Truman and uh, Southwest Baptist University. Love that. And uh, we're kind of going to stay over there in that time zone with bringing in our first women's head coach, that's been on this podcast. And I guess when we uh, swing, we're going to swing for the fences and bring in the biggest fish we can get. And the hottest coach in college golf is this man. And that's Jay Goble. I'm looking forward to hearing what he has to say with everything that's been going on in his part of the world and all the tournaments he's been to. Very excited for Jay. Did not have a better guy on the podcast here. And that's, that's just strictly from what I've been hearing from all the other coaches. So I'm excited to get him on here, talk to him for the first time, even though he's right down there in my home state, the home state of Texas. So, uh, Jay, happy to have you on today. Thanks, guys. Appreciate y'all having me. Uh, Glad to be here. You know, obviously with all the cold weather in Texas, you know, a little over a week ago, I assume there was none of that in Waco because you guys were so hot. You kept it all melted and and it was probably like 75 and sunny every day because you guys are so hot, right? I really wish that was the case. Um, you know, thankfully, we have a nice little indoor hitting bay and, uh, you know, an area where the the team could go in and swing and hit some putts for the week. But, uh, no, we had two inches of ice and seven inches of snow um, a week and a half ago, which, uh, you know, I've lived here 10 years now. And it's uh, I don't know that it's snowed that much in the 10 years I've been here. So it was, uh, it was pretty crazy, but, um, you know, I, I think it was, uh, it was good that we were able to get down to Houston a day before the practice round. And, uh, yeah, we, we got going before last week's event and, um, the girls got hot there at the end. What was the conditions of the golf course like in Houston? Because it's not like the weather was great in Houston leading up to the event, correct? No, I think they had two inches of snow that week as well, which is really abnormal for them. Um, Golf Club of Houston, obviously a former host of the Shell Houston Open, is a really great golf course. And, um, you know, it was in actually amazing shape for, for what happened, you know, the week before there. Um, the only thing that was a, a bit interesting is that the greens were, you know, dormant Bermuda grass is totally, everything was brown. Um, but they rolled, they rolled fantastic. Um, you know, I would say that the, uh, the greens crew at golf club of Houston, they did an amazing job getting, getting ready for that event with, um, very, very little time to get going. What, uh, how did y'all play that 18th hole there? <laughs> You know, I, I think we played it a lot better than most. Um, thankfully, uh, in the course setup the last day, they they put the pin back left, so they moved the tee up about probably 30 yards from where it was the first day. But 
uh, the the thirty six hole day, man, we played it about four ten into the wind, and uh, they put the print pin front middle. Uh, I think we got out of there about two over par, but uh, you know, the last day we actually had nine birdies in the last five holes of the tournament. To uh, you know, LSU had a couple shot lead on us. Uh, we flipped it on them there at the end with all those those birdies at the at the finish. It's always amazing, you know, coming down the stretch when you get some pressure on a team. That's really, you know, what you can take away that obviously you guys have been playing so well, but, you know, even just even maybe talk about a little bit about the internal pressure of what it's like winning four in a row, now five in a row. Yeah, you know, I, I've been asked that question a, a lot recently, and, and, you know, I think that my answer is this team, uh, which is – you know, I, I had a great team in 2015. We were essentially a shot away from winning nationals that year. Um, but I, I haven't had a team since then that, you know, everybody is really motivated to be great. And the cool thing for me as a coach, and you get this very few times in your coaching life, but, you know, I, I don't have to worry about scheduling practice. I don't have to worry about um, making sure that somebody's working on their putting drills or anything like that. I, I have a team that, you know, they all want to play professional golf. They all have high aspirations for um, their game after school. So, you know, the cool thing is that I, I think they expect to win and they prepare to win. And, um, you know, like even, even with us last week going into the event with very little golf going into the tournament, um, you know, there was no, there was no other expectation than taking the trophy home. And, you know, I think that we don't really talk about scores very much in our team, but I went up to a couple, my two freshmen, um, and I, all I told them, it, it was close. I said, Hey, it's close. You know, uh, every shot matters here from here to the house, uh, do the best you can. And, and, you know, every shot you can save is, is crucial right now. And uh, like I said, you know, nine birdies in the last four holes. Um, Britta Snyder, one of my freshmen from Ames, Iowa, she uh, she birdied the last three holes uh, to finish 16, Indeed. 17, and 18. And, uh, you know, that was coming off of uh, the previous round, shooting 65, which is uh, a school record. So, um, you know, I, I just – I have a pretty fascinating group right now. And uh, – you know, not to say that there's no pressure because, um, I mean, I just think that pressure is relieved the better your preparation is. And um, I know that this team, when we're at home, man, they, they prepare better than any team I've ever had. For the listeners out there, you're actually our first women's golf coach on the pod. And so let's get to know you a little bit more. Sure. Um, we talk about coaching circle and uh, yes, kind of how we're all connected. I noticed here, yeah, absolutely. UNC I, Charlotte uh, grad. Concord, so we're North probably Carolina, out here playing a lot of the courses that you grew um, up playing. I, I started off my um, college golf career at Coastal Carolina in 1996. I played there uh, for a couple years, and um, you know, I, I didn't. Uh, it wasn't exactly the right fit, you know. And I think as coaches, we know uh, probably better than most that the fit or the the you know the relationship with the coach, the school, the facilities, the area. Um, I just think that Myrtle Beach at, at that point in my life was not the right fit for me. So I actually transferred back home and, and moved in with my parents. And, uh, you know, I think the great thing for me and the, the great thing for my golf game was that, you know, Charlotte was home. So I was able to work on my game at my home club when I wanted to. And I didn't have to worry about, you know, my – my coach making practice arrangements for me or getting me on another golf course. And um, I just felt a little bit freed up to, to work on my game and obviously felt comfortable in Charlotte. So um, went back to UNC Charlotte, had a, had a, uh, you know, I wouldn't say a stellar college golfing career, but I, I played my last three years at UNC Charlotte and uh, we had a good team. Um Tried to tried to play professional golf for a minute, but I um, I had a a real desire to coach and um, started working at the David Ledbetter Golf Academy in 2002, and that's kind of where my 
my golf instruction and coaching bug came from. And, um, you know, I, I think it's, uh, <laughs> it's interesting how your path takes you around and, and kind of chooses itself for you. I, I would probably say 20 years ago, I, I never would have envisioned being a, a, a women's golf coach, but, um, my time at Ledbetter kind of helped me, uh, realized that I was being really successful with the young female athletes I was working with. And, um, 2008 comes around and I'm, I'm essentially recruited to, uh, to either coach at the university of Florida as an assistant or at, uh, Wake Forest. And I decided to go to university of Florida and coach there and, um, had a great experience, spent, uh, three years as a Gator and, uh, then got the the Baylor women's uh, job in 2011. So this is my, my 10th season in Waco right now. Jay, obviously with your time there back home in Charlotte, you, I think you might have crossed paths with coach Ben Hannon. Did he come in right at the end of your career? <laughs> yes. I, you know, it's crazy enough that um, I played golf, you know, at coastal Carolina for three semesters and UNC Charlotte for three years. Um I had five coaches in my four and a half years, and Ben was actually the last coach of mine. Did you have Todd McCorkle at Coastal? I had Todd McCorkle, Don Cle- Donald Clement, and then I had um, uh, Deke Dawson, Ben Hannon, and okay. – um, gosh, I'm drawing a blank on my first one at UNC Charlotte. Well, obviously, with all the success you're having, Jay, I can clearly tell that the influence that Ben had on you is clearly rubbed <laughs> off and is no longer apparent. <laughs> So that's, that's good ben is a, is a good man. And, you know, it was his first, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure it was his first coaching job. So he was, mm-hmm. he was, um, yeah, 1999 or something like that. He was, uh, he was newly off the driving range and trying to, trying to drag us around. We heard lots of Heath Slocum stories and, you know, I, I remember those, but, <laughs> but yeah, Ben, Ben's a great guy and he, uh, you know, I, I think as coaches, we're, we're all kind of influenced by the people that we're around, obviously. And um, I learned a lot about my coaching and do's and don'ts. And uh, it's been a it's been a wild ride, but uh, I loved college golf. And that's why I'm in the profession right now is because, I, you know, the experience I, experiences I had in college were were amazing. And, um, you know, I just want to keep trying to relive those. We, uh, you guys get a kick out of this. We're sitting here, um, Jay, we're under a COVID <laughs> yeah. box here in Charleston Southern and I'm sitting on my golf cart in my neighborhood and my two boys are fishing and one of them just caught about a four pound bass. So he just reeled it in. So I just snapped a pick here while I'm on this <laughs> that's podcast, awesome. but that's awesome. You know, I'm interested when we talk about ride homes, Jay, describe the ride from Houston to Waco this past week, what that was like going home with the feeling of five in a row. Well, you know, I think uh, everything is a little bit different right now with COVID going on than, than a typical, you know, like our our travel situation is obviously different. Our f- flying and driving situation is different. I, um, I actually had half the team in my car and half the team in our Sprinter van on the way home. So, um, okay. but, you know, pretty typical for our team, especially after a win, is we have to find um, – probably the locus uh most local ice cream or um frozen yogurt <laughs> place to to kind of quickly celebrate our win and drive home and that's that's been our our typical deal this uh this semester but um yeah they're you know they're just ready to keep competing and and um we're excited to get back to south carolina i think that this is by far going to be the strongest field we played in all year with, um, you know, quite a few SEC teams and then Duke, Wake Forest, Furman and North Carolina also playing in the event. I mean, it's going to be, I mean, I think there's uh, four or five of the top 10 teams in the country right now going to be in South Carolina. So um, it was nice to, to play against LSU and some other great teams last week, but um as you guys know, like we're, we're trying to get our teams to see the best competition they can see. And um, so, so getting out there, you know, is going to be a, a good test for us, but they're, yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny in 2015 when my team would win, they'd watch Harry Potter all the way back to, to Waco. So, you know, it, it's just kind of a, 
it all depends on what kind of team you have. But, um, you know, it's a little strange traveling with uh, face shields and masks and goggles and all that kind of stuff. But um, right now we're at the point, man, where we just want to keep playing and keep competing. So, you know, if it requires us to wear a face shield for a couple hours on the way home, that then so be it. But uh, we did we did stop and have a little ice cream celebration. You know, I think all of his coaches need to know what flavor you're choosing so we can try to mimic Something with whatever a lot you're of doing. Cups and, on it. You know, <laughs> and when you when you get to Columbia, you know, you're going to be like 80 miles uh, kind of northwest of me. So I might need to come up there and bring a legal pad and just take a bunch of notes, whatever you guys are doing to make sure I can learn because just how impressive. And I, I think I heard that it's never been done in the Big 12 before on the women's side of women winning five tournaments yeah, in a row that's uh that's what i hear as well i um you know uh it's news to me but uh it sounds it sounds correct i mean i i've been here 10 years now and before you know this year in my 10 years i think we won 15 times so to win five in in just you know the first five events of one season you know, it's not easy to win. I mean, you know, there's there's always other var- variables that come in, and um, you know, yeah, it's pretty amazing. So I'm uh, I'm just riding the wave along with them. How does it also help having the the men's team having you know some really good players, obviously really good coaches, and kind of feeding off each other? Is it kind of contagious? Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, since Coach McGraw's arrival in Waco, I believe in 2014, I mean he's He's obviously one of the most well-known and well-respected coaches in uh, in men's golf, and you know I can tell you that the the atmosphere in the past ten years in Waco. I mean, you know, uh, Coach Priest did a great job. I mean, I think his team finished thirtieth to fiftieth in the country every year he was there, which is you know it's fantastic. They're making it to regionals and they're making it to postseason every year. Um, since coach McGraw got to Waco, you know, that's stepped up a level. Um, they've won two big 12 match play championships. They've also been the number one ranked team in the country, uh, at one point, I believe two years ago. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I think that, you know, 10 years ago, Waco, uh, Baylor university was not the golf destination that it is now, but, um, having both teams have success, having a, you know, we have a, an $8 million facility right on campus, which, which is amazing. Um, and then, you know, having great coaches and great players here, yeah, it, it just makes you want to be a part of it. And when we have recruits in town, um, yeah, they know that the men's team's a top 10, top 15 team in the country every year. They know the women's team is, is also doing the same and trying to compete for national championships and Big 12 championships and um yeah it's uh it's great to have both teams as successful as they are and we're we're really lucky to have coach McGraw around because he uh he obviously does a fantastic job with his team as well I I used to get a big kick out of when I when I coached in Athens with coach Hack we'd be on the road recruiting and every time we'd see McGraw recruiting we'd do this thing where we'd put McGraw on the ground and we'd have coach Hack stand (laughs) on his stomach and, and and he could hold all that weight on his Iron Man stomach. So that's how I knew he was. He's something really else, man. He's so uh, you know I think Coach McGraw is about sixty years old now, and he uh, he's still on the stairmaster every day, four thirty, five o'clock in the morning. Um, you know he's an incredibly fast eater, like the most amazing thing you've ever seen. But um, yeah, you know I think that guy's going to coach for twenty more years, maybe thirty more years. I mean he. He's not like a normal 60-year-old man, that's for sure. You know, Jay, my wife would kill me if I didn't ask you if if we were to come to Waco, you'd obviously be able to introduce us to Chip and join a game. For correct? sure. We'd have the total tour set up. You guys could have uh, lunch at Magnolia Table and, um, you know, go down to the silos and check everything out with a uh, personal tour from Chip and Joanna. Well, Coach, we've loved having you. Before we go, what's one thing, if there's a message you want to leave just to college sports in general about women's golf? Because, I mean, that's honestly what we're trying to do here is is on the men's side and women's side is just 
spread the news about how great of a sport this is. You know, when I got into to women's college golf 10 years ago, actually 12 years ago, um, you know, the best player on our team was averaging about 74 and a half, 75. Um, I currently have seven players on my team that are averaging under 72 and a half in tournaments. So, so kind of, you know, the, the way college golf is, is trending. I mean, these, I would say that all five of my starting five, I mean, they could go make money on the LPGA tour right now. I mean, they're, they're good enough players now. Now, granted, they're not quite experienced enough or, or they haven't had um, the maturity yet to, to go out there and handle that, but that's what college is for. But talent wise, golf wise, I mean, you know, we used to we used to be excited when we'd break 300 in women's golf. And now we're to the point where, again, my team's scoring average for the year is about 285. So we're we're going out. We're shooting under par. We're we're shooting 68s and 65s and birdie in the last three holes. And, you know, the the other great thing is that we're getting exposure now that we never got, you know, in 2015 when. Uh, the women's national championship started to get televised in the East Lake Cup. And, you know, I believe next year we're playing in the Stevens Cup at a lotion club that's also going to be televised on the Golf Channel. I mean, these are these are elite athletes that we coach now. And they're, you know, they're motivated to play this sport for a living. And, and um, you know, I just think that, uh, you know, the whole the whole idea of a college golfer um has changed a lot and has changed a lot recently. And, you know, I'm excited to see the level of play to see the, so many schools now have great women's golf teams that, you know, you wouldn't even think about like a, a Kent state or a, you know, South Carolina back in the day, even they didn't have that great of a women's golf team and they're, you know, they're, they're top three in the country every year. So um, the parity's changed a lot. There's so many great players out there now. And, you know, I think it's uh you know, I, in my opinion, it's better than watching a, a tour event to go watch a college golf event because not only are they great players, they're playing at an amateur level and they're representing their school. And, um, you know, it's uh, I would I would just, you know, hope your listeners can can come out and watch us play sometime. And and uh, I think they'll be really impressed with the level of golf. I really do. I will echo that. I, I remember going out to the. Uh regional in Athens, Georgia, yep. I think it's 2017, we and to yeah. say hey to Greg Allen and saw Kevin, yeah, and I was amazed at how good yeah. all these girls were hitting it, and, and I was just like, man, these guys, these girls can play yeah. Division One men's golf, And uh, but being around the game as a player on the men's side, now coaching the women's side, what's, what's even some advice you'd give to men's coaches that, that you would like to see them do more or even do better? Because on the women's side, you know, there's all these coaches, I think, that have success, but they have success on an extremely right. consistent basis. You know, like like a Kelly Hester and a Greg Allen. I mean, those, those, those coaches are always having their teams, you know, just performing at, at unbelievable levels, consistent levels year in, year out. What, what do you think it is you women's coaches do so well that um, you can give advice to the men? You know, that's a, that's a tough question to, to answer because I think that um, – you know, I have never coached a men's golf team, um, but I have observed Coach McGraw a lot and I've observed, obviously, a lot of other uh, men's coaches. I think something that, that I do a lot differently than most is, A, my team plays a ton of golf. I mean, I would say that we, we play at least four 18-hole rounds of golf a week, if not more. Um, you know, my, my, my uh, Kara hours are filled with us playing golf, not with us doing other things. And when we have, um, I essentially have individual practices with my team. So we don't have a whole lot of team practices. What we do have is, you know, on Tuesday and Thursday, uh, I'll have an hour to two hours with each player on my team. And uh, I'll spend time working on what they need to work on, not necessarily, um, you know, cookie cutter for the whole squad. And I think that's something that has worked out well for me. Um, with my time at Florida, I used to observe Buddy Alexander a lot. And I think he did a great job of 
you know, he, he also did something similar, like his team would qualify a lot. And then when they had their practice days, Buddy just spent his, his whole day essentially going from player to player, not, not so much like, you know, have a million drills set up or have something set up on the putting green when you have a player that's, you know, having struggles with their driver. I mean, Buddy, Buddy literally did, uh, you know, an amazing job of going player to player and kind of assessing what they needed to work on because at the end of the day, golf is an individual sport. We all know, but you know, during this four years in college, we play it as a team and, um, uh, you know, the best way that you can help your team and the best way that you can help your players is to assess their individual needs. So, you know, I, I don't know if I answered your question so much, but I kind of say what I do. And I think that um, that's something that, uh, you know, coaches can can maybe get a little bit off of is that, you know, their, their players all need something a little bit different. And if you find time to, to work with each of them on the things that they need, then uh, you're going to get the best out of them. So that's what I always try to do. I love hearing that you guys play a lot. You know, because I always say, you know, you – you tell people, you know, you play golf in college. Yeah. I don't practice golf in college, you know, so that just tells you, you know, Absolutely. Hey, it's I all agree, about 100%. Um, but, uh, well, Painter, as we sit here too and have this conversation, it just dawned on me just talking about those coaches' connections. She that did. one Absolutely. of Jay's former with, assistants, uh, Ryan uh, Ashburn, there for cut her teeth a little I bit in the Big South. Her way to Waco. So, well, I think I think we all know that all the great coaches in college golf <laughs> come through the Big yes. South at some point in their lives. Yes, I so would agree. There's no I would doubt agree. about that. Well, Jay, listen, we're going to be following you and wishing you guys all the success <laughs> in the world when you come over to Columbia, South Carolina and compete with your team first time outside yes. of central time zone, you guys will be competing. So if you guys get off to a slow start, we'll know that you're just not quite used to that hour difference. And we'll be really looking for all those red, red uh, boxes on golf stat on about holes five and on. If you guys get off to a slow start, <laughs> but I don't think we got to worry about that as you guys look for win six in a row on the year, but coach, thanks so Appreciate much it, for guys. taking time out of your schedule. And, uh, You've got some fans. Keep it up. Thanks. Best, best of luck to luck you guys. And, uh, thanks again for having me. Appreciate it. You know, I guess it just shows kind of how old I'm getting when it's really just interesting to me, the connection that everybody has to each other. And it's just crazy to me, you know, talking to Coach Goble that he at one time played for Todd McCorkle. He also played for Ben Hannon, who's now the coach at South Alabama, who's a good friend of ours. And um it's just amazing how, how connected we all are and how special college golf is and uh i guess how thrilled both you and i are to be a part of it and uh what a great episode this has been at the any given tuesday podcast well we just want to thank everyone in agt nation that stays on this long with us it's that time we all wait for hit it fatty Bam!